0: I would also like to know, can we do that clip once again? Can we just play it again? I want you to look at what that is. Marriage can be difficult. Yeah. All of those things. All of those things. All right. How many would agree that marriage can be all of those things? What about sometimes at the same time? Right? Sometimes all of that at the same time. Um, We are in our final series uh, this week on talking about marriage. But before I go in and get into all of that that I want to talk about today, I want to encourage you to be sure to be here next week for our new series and bring a friend. Next week, we are starting a a four-week series on miracles. We're going to be talking about miracles. God is still in the business of doing miracles miracles today and starting next week for the next four weeks we're going to be talking about four different kinds of miracles we're going to be talking about miracles of deliverance okay that should be interesting talking about miracles of healing miracles of protection and miracles of provision so that starts next week I want to encourage you to be sure to uh to not miss that be be a part of that today we're going to wrap up as i said our current series on on marriage, which is called the vow. And it's titled that because, you know, we've been talking about four vows that we can take that'll help build and strengthen and, and, and cultivate a healthy marriage, uh, a marriage that doesn't just survive. You know, I've been married for, for uh, Lisa and I've been married for 42 years. You know, I never went into it thinking I want a marriage that's going to survive. Okay, To me, that bar is too low. I want a marriage that thrives. And this is what this help, series helps us to do. Build a marriage that doesn't just survive, uh, you know, but, but one that thrives. Let's raise the bar a little bit higher than, than what we do sometimes. And today we're talking about the fourth vow, and that's the vow of purity. Now, I want to start off by giving a brief, you know, just, just uh, uh, taking a brief survey this morning. Just a few simple questions, all right? Um, How many are here that are either currently married or are engaged to be married or hope to be married someday to someone? Raise your hand high. Raise it up. Okay, okay. Uh, Second question. Again, you can raise your hand high on this one. How many of you who are married or who hope to be married someday plan on committing adultery one day? Anybody? I saw one person start to move their hand, but it was just to put a bagel in their mouth. So, you know, okay. I started to sweat on that one. Okay. Uh, Third question. How many who are married or hope to be married one day plan on becoming addicted to pornography? Okay. Okay. Again, somebody was reaching for something, but I don't think that qualified as is their is there hand going up. No one. No one. You know, and, and yet all the stats would suggest that there are a number of men and women here who are addicted. Last question. How many are glad this is the last question? Okay. You can, it's safe to raise your hand on that one. Okay. <clears throat> last question. How many here who are Married or planning on being married? Plan on having an emotional affair someday. <laughs> that was awful close. You got to listen close. It was a it was a half mast. Then uh oh, an emotional affair someday. Whew. Oh my gosh. Yeah yeah. Think think. Good job on pulling it down quick though. You're awesome. Um, It's interesting, though. Nobody raised their hand, at least not fully. Nobody raised their hand because nobody goes into marriage with an intentional plan to sabotage their marriage with sin. Is that right? Nobody goes into marriage with an intentional plan to sabotage that marriage. And yet, as we know, as we all know, it happens all too frequently. And our culture certainly doesn't encourage fidelity, does it? No, it, it, it doesn't. In anything, it, it encourages infidelity. Its values are different than ours as believers. We have different values and it's important to keep that in mind. See, we often fool ourselves by thinking that a wedding ceremony is going to somehow have magical powers It's going to change who we are. Oh, I could live like this, and I could do all that I want and everything, and then, you know, boy, once, once I get married then, then it's just everything just as it is supposed to be, right? And, and, you know, it, it suddenly changes. We think it's okay to, to, to live how we want until marriage, you know. And, you know, you hear the, the stories, you know, the one last fling before, before the, the, the wedding, you know, actually takes place. And, and then you're tied down, so to speak, or whatever. And, you know, we think of those things. And then suddenly, you know, the, the, uh, 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 you know, the wedding day happens. We're supposed to be transformed into, in, into different people and live differently without all the temptations and desires that we gave into and cultivated even sometimes before we're married. We don't realize that it's difficult to build a marriage of righteousness on a a foundation of sin. And the way we live before marriage greatly impacts all areas of our lives, especially the marriage relationship. So today we are going to look at the vow uh, of purity. And once again, we're going to start, as we have in this series, by looking at Genesis chapter 2. In verse 24 and 25, it says, That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I pray that as we talk about this today, I pray that as we um, look into your word, Lord, we want to hear what you have to say to us today. So we open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our spirits, and we say, Lord, you come and share with us. Father, I ask you for the ability to communicate clearly the things that are on my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. They were naked and felt no shame. Now, this was before the fall. Adam and Eve were in the perfect environment in the Garden of Eden. They had everything they could possibly want. There was not one thing that they wanted and they didn't have. They had a perfect relationship with God. They had all the food they needed. They had everything. Their relationship had no tension, had no stress, had no difficulty. Everything was great. Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Kind of like this. Let's say you've got, uh, uh, you're having a g- group of friends over to your house for a barbecue in the backyard. And you're sitting there, you're at the grill, you know, what, what, what do you want on, the, on your barbecue? Ribs? I'd like ribs. Burgers, you know, some uh, Polish sausage maybe you know, some, some hot dogs, and I mean, you know, you got it all, you're just grilling away, and your friends are standing around talking, you got some over here, you know, sitting down, and they're just sinking their teeth into the juiciest watermelon, oh my gosh, I can almost taste it, you know, and, and you got someone playing a game of, uh, uh, of jarts or something over here, you know, that, that game, I do they even still do that? Isn't it dangerous? You know, <coughs> Yeah, Kids get a hold of it, it's dangerous, and same thing with adults showing off. Hey, look at this. Anyway, you're, you're there and having a great time, all of a sudden, boom, the back door just flies open and your two-year-old r- starts running around the yard stark naked. They had peeled their clothes off in the kitchen and ran out the back door, and they're just running around free as could be, naked as a jaybird, <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, there's, they have no shame. They are just out there for the whole world. The cars are driving by looking and, you know, almost getting in a wreck, and everybody starts snickering, but they're free of any awareness of that at all. Um, not a stitch on and not a care in the world. Totally innocent. No shame. That's how it was with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. No shame. Shame comes from a Hebrew root word that means to be ashamed or to feel completely worthless. And isn't that what shame does? Shame makes us feel completely worthless and before the fall there was no shame and then everything changed in a moment serpent came tempted eve to sin he deceived her to do the one thing there was one rule god said you can have whatever you want here you can do whatever have whatever you want here just this one tree right here don't eat the fruit off of that tree just this one all the others in the garden are yours to have as enjoy as much as you want Serpent comes along, deceives her, says, "God just doesn't want you to be like him." And she looks at the tree; does look good. And everything I've tasted so far has been really good. I wonder what that tastes like. Takes the fruit; we don't know what it was. Takes the t- takes the fruit. Takes a bite, and we always blame Eve for that, don't we? But then what does she do with the fruit? She hands it to her husband. She hands it to Adam, who was what? Who just happened to walk along after she took a bite? No, who was standing right there with her and did nothing to stop her. Takes the fruit, hands it to Adam. He takes a bite. And before he can get the words out of his mouth, boy, this this tastes good, all of a sudden they realize they're standing there naked. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Adam, where, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. See, they knew they did wrong. They knew it instantly. And shame came in, and that shame caused them to hide. And we do the same thing today. We do the same thing today, don't we? When we and we learn it in an, at an early age. When we realize we've done something that we shouldn't do, We hide, don't we? When, um, think of a toddler who's, or or a two-year-old. Think of a two-year-old. And all of a sudden, you realize they were in the room a minute ago. Now they're not there. And you look, and they're behind a chair in the corner or under the table, just kind of squatting there. What are they doing? Yeah, you don't always have to see it. Sometimes you can smell it before you see it. They're filling their diaper that they've come to realize is ooh, that's a stinky, you know, and they're they're hiding. We we are, are a four-year-old <clears throat> got a four-year-old. They get into somebody left sharpies in their reach, and they take the sharpies, they draw all over the wall, up the stairs, and and then they. You know, draw, you know, mom does this with something, puts stuff on her face and, you know, starts drawing all over their face and all of that. And then they realize they've done something wrong, so they hide. And then you find them. Maybe they're hiding in a kitchen cabinet or under a bed or whatever. They're hiding. Or we get into trouble as an adult, and we're too afraid to ask for help. So instead of getting help, the problem gets worse. And before long, we're going to great lengths to hide an issue, to hide a problem, to hide something in our lives because we're too embarrassed for anyone to know because, my goodness, if they knew about this, what would they then really think of me if, you know, we don't want anyone to see who we really are. Because we don't like who we are because of what we've done. So we hide because of the shame we feel. Shame is one of the enemy's favorite tools, I'm convinced of that. It's different than guilt. See, guilt says, you know, uh, guilt says, I did wrong. I did something wrong. That's guilt. Shame says, I am wrong. There is something inherently wrong with me. I am wrong. I, you know, Guilt says, I did bad. Shame says, I am bad. Shame attacks your identity. It connects what you did to who you are. And it says, because you did bad, you are bad. And if I am bad, then you won't love me. So we hide what we don't want others to see. And when you start doing that in a marriage, then you're in trouble. Because it destroys intimacy, secrecy destroys intimacy, like you shave, if you're shaved, shave, a shave a certain way, uh-huh, yeah, because of their culture, the Jews would wear you know these long beards, and it was you know according to their laws and stuff, and you would cut that in half or shave it half off. And it was a, a symbol of cultural shame. So, you know, secrecy is the, is the enemy of intimacy because it builds up walls and it closes, uh, it, it closes us up. And so this leads us to the fourth vow that we're going to talk about this week. But first, I want to review our vows to this point that we've talked about. Vow number one, first week, said, I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. God's my first, my spouse is my second. Always, God first. Second vow, I promise to always pursue my two. Always pursue my two. I'm always going to be in pursuit of my two. Who's my two? My spouse. Doesn't stop when we get married. Doesn't stop when you both say I do. You continue to pursue with words of affirmation and words of affection and so forth. Third vow, I promise our marriage will be, will, will be about we and not me. It's going to be about we and not me. We talked about that last week. And marriage is a covenant partnership with godly leadership and mutual submission. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, mutual submission, look up Ephesians 5.21, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another, okay? You know, we, we, we like to just say a woman submit. No, we submit to each other. In fact, the verse that says, Um, and and just, just back up a little bit. We talked about this last week. Ephesians 5.21, there's always been a question with scholars, does this close out the paragraph in front of it, or does it begin the next paragraph? And one strong argument for it beginning the second paragraph, where he talks about husbands and wives, is that when it says, submit to each other out of reverence for the Lord, the next verse is the famous verse we've all heard about, you know, wives, submit to your husbands. The word submit is not actually in that verse in the, in, in the Greek. It is implied from the previous verse. So basically, and that's why I like the way the NLT, the New Living Translation, translates it. It says, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And he says, for wives it means this, and that for husbands it means that. Talking about mutual submission and, and leadership in the home and so forth. Then our fourth vow for this week is this. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, starting verse 8. Says, for you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. Now that's the NLT. The NIV says it even stronger. The NIV says, uh, or the the NLT says, you have light. The The NIV says, you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. And that's how we need to be thinking, that we are light in the Lord. That's our identity. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, we are made new. It's not just a simple, oh, went in for an overhaul, went in for a tune-up, you know, I got the latest upgrade, improvement, whatever. No, we are a new creation. We are a new ident- We have a new identity, but we don't always live according to what we are. We are new creations. That's how God sees us. But we often live like our old selves, who we used to be. So he says, live like who you are. You are light in the Lord. Now live like that. And then he goes on to say, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And that's the fruit that you want to see in your marriage, what is good and what is right and what is true. And then he says in verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It says, don't hide them. Don't take part in them. Don't hide them. Expose them. Open them up and let the light come in. You'll never find healing in the dark. If there's something you're hiding, something you're holding in, and you're afraid to share it with anybody, you'll never find healing in the dark. But in the light, there is healing. In the dark, you just empower the shame uh, to, to have greater and greater control over you. So the idea is to break out of the darkness. Don't let the darkness rule your life. You are light in the Lord. Walk in the light that you are and stop hiding and be the light that God made you. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Not even a hint. <clears throat> Let the light chase every single bit of darkness away. Let it have no part in you. That's the way it should be. And we think of things a lot of times as black and white, right? Right? Light and dark, but the reality is sometimes we, lock, we, we like to walk in this gray area that's between darkness and light. This gray area. We, walk in the, we, we, we like to walk sometimes in the, in the dusk, so to speak. You ever, walk, you ever take a walk in the dusk? You know, it's, the sun's gone down, but it's not quite dark yet. And what can you see? You can see shapes and figures. You can see someone's coming toward you, but you can't really see who they are. You can't see colors. Everything's kind of gray, and we walk in this, in the, in this gray area of, of dusk. And, you know, we, we think we can see, but, but in reality, we can't see clearly. And when you're talking about purity in marriage, sometimes it can be just like that. There are things we say we would never do. Nobody raised their hands when we said, you know, how many, you know, plan on intentionally, you know, uh, cheating on your, on your spouse, committing adultery or whatever, or, or you know, becoming addicted to, to pornography or having an emotional affair or whatever. Um, um, y- y- you know, we, 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 we say that we would never do those things, and then we think we're safe. I would never commit adultery. I'd never cheat on my spouse. We think that's the line, and I'll never cross it. And that's good. But then when we move into the light, we see that that's not the line at all. See, Jesus drew the line. Jesus drew another line. He drew a new line when he said in Matthew, 20, or Matthew 5 27 28, he said, You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not the act that's the line not to cross. It's the thought. It's not the, the act that, that, that crosses the line. The line has By the time you get to the act, the line has already been crossed way before the act. It's been crossed probably numerous times when we think it in our mind. See, the sin line is clear when you're in the light. It's not so clear when you're walking in that area between darkness and light. And it's easy to trip over because it's not where you think it is. It's where you're not even looking, waiting to trip you up. It's like the the action is over there. And, you know, I think I'm safe as long as I'm not going to that action but then as i walk along all of a sudden the thoughts there something comes in my mind and i find myself tripping and falling flat and that's happened several times before you get to the action this room is a definition of quiet um (laughs) okay (laughs) Jesus continued by saying in verse 29, So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, what he's saying is this. He's not saying literally cut your hand or gouge your eye. He's saying, be relentless about walking in the light. Be relentless about walking in purity. Both in your marriage and in your life before you're married, be relentless about it. Because how we live before we're married does have an effect on our marriage. Habits are hard to break, and and, and as we said, it's difficult to build a marriage of righteousness on a foundation of sin. Solomon was talking about uh, an adulterous woman when he said in Proverbs five eight, and it's not to you know say anything about the woman. It could be a a, a man that's a temptation, whatever. But but he, he says, keep a path. Far from her, do not go near the door of her house. It says, don't even go near the line. Don't even toy with the thought. Don't allow yourself to go there. Don't allow yourself a second glance. As, you, as, you, you know, as, as, as soon as that, that comes to your mind, you know, get it out of your mind. Don't try to see how close you can get to the line without ever crossing it. Because before you know it, you'll trip and fall over the line says, don't even go near. But then the question is, or you, know, you may be thinking, okay, I can handle not acting it out, but it, when, when it comes to my thoughts, how can I stay pure? So like boundaries. boundaries. Like uh-huh. Like the walls of Jerusalem were like boundaries, yeah. So it's like, how can, I, how can I do that? How can I keep from, you know, how can I stay pure? Especially in a culture that is so saturated with sex, with images, with, with, you know, just, just everything. It's everywhere you look, and it's encouraged everywhere you look. We're going to look at King David's answer. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. Verse 9 says, how can a young man stay on the path of purity? Now, most scholars believe that Psalm 119 was written by King David. And as he wrote this, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, he's probably thinking back to his time with Bathsheba, his sin with Bathsheba, where he commits adultery with Bathsheba, sleeps with her, and then because she gets pregnant, he tries to cover it up by bringing her husband in off the battlefield, he, he, and, and say, oh, go sleep with your wife. And he won't, you know. He says, no, my, my comrades are out there. My, my friends are out there in battle. You know, I can't go home to the comforts of home. You know, so, so he, he doesn't. And then, so anyway, after like three nights, I think, of, uh, of refusing that, David sends him to, back into battle with a sealed, a sealed notice memo to be given to his commanding officer and says, put Uriah in the front of the battle, right up against, put put him in the front of the battle where the battle's the hottest and have everybody pull back from him. Signing his death warrant saying, I want this guy dead is what he's saying. And he does that because he's what? He's covering up. He's hiding. And he thinks okay now i got i I got away with it. He marries Bathsheba then and and he thinks he got away with it till Nathan the prophet comes to him and says Not so fast and it, it came out you know what he did and all of that so you know I think he's probably thinking about all of that when he when when this question is arisen you know how can a young man stay on the path of purity? You know he had been up on the rooftop uh you know looking out and saw her bathing and Thing is, his sin was brought into light and he repented of it. And that's what Psalm 51, read Psalm 51 sometime. That's the setting for that psalm is David's repentance. Now later, as he writes this song, he's all too aware of his vulnerabilities as he considers the question, how can a young man stay on the path of purity? How is it possible? How can it be done? He turns to the Lord and answers by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I seek you with all my heart. Think back to our first vow. I promise that God will always be my first priority and my spouse my second. God comes first. He's our first priority. We seek him with all of our heart, and, and we don't let ourselves be drawn to other things. We need to be vigilant. We need to be relentless. We need to be ruthless when it comes to guarding our heart and protecting our marriage. Being totally honest and open with it, with with with, with, with your spouse. Being totally honest and open with your spouse. No secrets. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. The moment you begin hiding things from your spouse, the, then, then you begin to undermine your marriage. You know, Lisa and I don't have secrets. have been married 42 years. We don't have secrets. We both have access to each other's email, and we both have access to each other's phones. I know some people, they're so guarded with their, their phone or their email and their spouses and all that, you know, if you're in a marriage, you should be free and open with all of that. Free and open with all of that. The only exception might be if you're planning a birthday present or, like, I usually know what's being planned, but when I turned 50 and they presented me with that little seven-week-old uh, uh, dachshund puppy, Java, um th- I had no clue, okay? But that's okay. We, we, we can have that kind of secret. But other secrets, you know, who's texting who's, who's, you know, who's emailing who and all of that. It's like, we don't have secrets. Not that we go through and read everybody's stuff, but it's available if we want. I don't question if she picks up my phone and looks at it, and she doesn't question if I pick up hers and look at it. No secrets. Secrecy destroys Intimacy. The moment you begin hiding things from your spouse, you begin to undermine your marriage. And, and, and you know, there is no hiding things. Not, and it's not because we don't trust each other. We fully trust each other. It's just so we don't want secrets. We want the intimacy. We don't want the secrets as, as barriers. Secrecy is the enemy is, uh, of intimacy. Secrecy erodes trust. And when trust is gone, the marriage is in huge trouble. Say, well, I don't know how, I've got something I'm struggling with and it's a secret and I don't know how to let it out. I don't know how to share it. Find someone that you can share it with. Don't hide things secret in your life. Eventually they do come out. Find someone you can talk to, someone you can share it with. Share it with your wife, your husband. Find someone. Proverbs 28:13 says, "People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn, two-part thing, there's confession and turning from. If they confess and turn from them, they will be what? Watched closely to see if they violate trust again, guard it, no. They will receive mercy they will receive mercy. I want you to think about, if you're married, I want you to think about where is your marriage? What state of your marriage? Is it good? Is it thriving? Is it struggling? Is it gasping for air? Because wherever it is, it can be even better. If it's thriving, it can even be better than you imagined or hoped. If it's struggling, it can be put back on solid ground. If it's gasping for air, it can receive a fresh blowing wind of the Spirit again and be given new life. I want to invite you to join with me reciting these four vows that we've talked about these four weeks if you're currently married and you would or, or, or you would like to be someday if you would like to be someday you can say this as a vow to you know that day in the future if you're currently married you can make this vow in your heart now but I want you to, to share with me we've got them up here And let's start, let's say them together. Vow number one. I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Number two. I promise to always pursue my two. Third. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. And the fourth one. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, I want you to join one hand with them. The other one, just hold out in front of you, palm up. Because I want to (coughs) pray. Father, I thank you for all of the many gifts that you've given us, one of which is the gift of marriage. Marriage was your idea, and it's a beautiful Amen. gift that you've given to mankind, and we thank you for that. We acknowledge it is a gift from you. Father, release blessings under the marriages in this place today. Release your blessings. Those which are And those which are yet to be. Bless them with unity, with oneness, with compassion, with understanding, with purity. Let forgiveness and healing flow freely. Guard and protect marriage from the attacks of the enemy surround the families surround the marriages and protect them from those attacks of the enemy restore what has been lost where things have been lost lord just restore it end the secrecy Encourage and empower those that are hiding things secretly to be able to open up, bring them into the light, and receive mercy. Breathe life into husbands' and wives' families right now, Lord. And Lord, to those who are here who are feeling the pain of loss through death or divorce, I pray that you bring comfort as only you can bring. I pray that you'd bring healing. Healing to hearts that are broken. Healing that heart to hearts that are hurting. For those that are feeling shame, their identities being attacked, And they're feeling shame. In the name of Jesus, we break that shame off right now. And we loose the grip that it's had on you. We say you are free to walk in your new identity as light. As a child of God. We break that shame. Command it to go. We speak acceptance. We speak forgiveness, and we speak full restoration in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Next week, I want to encourage you. As we said, we're going to be talking about various types of miracles. Start our series next week, and I want to encourage you to um, to come and and to bring a friend um, if they're on spring break somewhere, you know, down in Florida or whatever, You say you've got to come back early just for this series. All right. How many want to do that? All right. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, ushers, go ahead and prepare yourselves to receive our tithes and offerings. Uh, those